Welcome to My Therapist is Out, an open space therapy collective podcast. We are your hub for queer and trans mental health care. Each episode, we talk with one of our open space therapists or LGBTQ community member about mental health and building community. I am your host, Renee Johnson, they, them. Founder of Open Space Therapy Collective, I'm a licensed therapist and an art therapist. I specialize in working with queer artists who are exploring their gender identity and recovering from complex trauma. This week, we're talking with Jenny Nigro, they, them, and Tara Friedman, she, her. Jenny and Tara are both associate therapists with Open Space Therapy Collective. Jenny specializes in working with queer adults and older adults, and Tara specializes in working with high-achieving women and couples in non-monogamous relationships. As we dive into today's topic, please keep in mind that this is a mental health podcast and we will talk about sensitive issues. If you would like to be informed of any trigger warnings, please read the podcast description. Uh, Welcome to My Therapist is Out. We are so excited to have you here today. My name is Renee Johnson, and we have our open space therapist with us today, Jenny Nigro and Tara Friedman, and I'm so happy that you guys are here. We're so happy to be here. (laughs) Thanks, Renee. (laughs) It's both for Jenny. (laughs) That's okay. You can speak Uh, for me in this context. (laughs) We are, um, this is our second listener Q&A. We had Chris and Debbie do the first one with us. Um, And we got a bunch of questions in and things that people want us to talk about. Um, So we're going to dive in. But before we do, how are you guys feeling about going through the questions that people have? I'm super excited. I was nervous, but then I saw the questions and I was like, oh, these are really good questions. Like, I love all of these questions and I just hope that we can uh, do them justice and like, you know, put out what people are, are looking for. Yeah, I agree. These are all really good questions and um, I'm so excited to talk about them with both of you too. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so let's dive in. We, the, this first one is um, an Instagram comment that we got from at Erin Thornhart. And uh, they had responded to some videos that we had um, done about boundaries. And the question is, what if you set the boundaries, but someone keeps pushing up against them and past them, um, even if it's going on for years? This is a tough one that happens a lot. What what are your thoughts on it? The first thought that was coming to my mind with almost any question about boundaries is that I think a lot of times people have the sense that setting a boundary is the hardest part and that is the end of it, right? They finally figure out the boundary. That's a lot of hard work goes into that. But in reality, unfortunately, oftentimes the hardest part is maintaining the boundary. Oftentimes people either won't want to respect the boundary or won't know how yet after the first time you said it. So this question made me think about enforcing boundaries and maintaining boundaries and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And it also made me think about, you know, when you set a boundary, how are you communicating it to the other person and how are they understanding it? So it might be helpful to try to ask them, how did you understand what I just expressed to you? 
what did you take away from that? Um, do you need examples of what might be crossing this boundary? And, you know, over-communicate. And it's, it just depends on who you're setting the boundary with and what their capacity is to understand it and keep it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are both really good points. Because, I mean, one of the things that I, I know I see a lot um, is like someone goes through all of that emotional process and that digging um, about what the boundary is to begin with. And the person that they're needing to set the boundary with isn't there. And mm -hmm. so like this person is going through all of this work and doing all this thing and it's amazing, but like that, those months of work, the other person is just completely unaware, is not in the emotional experience of it, doesn't understand most of the time that they're even crossing a boundary or that it's bothering the other mm -hmm. person. And so by the time you're communicating it, you've got to catch them up on everything and make mm -hmm. sure that they understand it. And then your work isn't over. Like, just like you're saying, like holding it, like it's freaky enough to be, to set it and then to stay there and hold it is a whole nother skill set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's it, hard. Go ahead. <laughs> I just was affirming that it's really, really hard. Like, <laughs> it's really, really hard. It's, yeah. you know, I am sure a lot of people experience trying to set a boundary and it just gets steamrolled over like you never said anything. So, um, yeah, that's all I wanted to add. Yeah, it is really hard. And I think especially if you're not used to it, right? If this person is new to setting boundaries, they might mm -hmm. think or feel like they're communicating maybe even aggressively or too assertively mm -hmm. at like a nine and they might be for them communicating in that way but for other people they might be hearing it as like a really casual preference and not a hard mm -hmm. boundary mm -hmm. what are some things that you have seen people do or things that you've done that have been successful in either communicating and like holding it it's a good question that you know the first thing i saw thought of was like a type of safety plan um, where you are articulating and writing down, this is what, you know, if you cross this boundary, this is how it makes me feel. Um, this is how, these are the ways I will let you know that you've done that. This is how you can help me in those situations. This is what I need from you. And having both people sort of read through it together. Um, and then when you are in the moment, cause it can be really hard, it can be a bit harder in the moment to go back to that safety plan that you've created. Okay, someone's crossed my boundary. What did, what did I write down that I would do when that happens? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, kind of having your current self help out your future self. Yeah. When you these situations come up because they get mm -hmm. tough and then we kind of lose our, our gumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something similar that I've worked with clients on and therapy is a great place for is practicing like what would you say what would you like to say to this person and how does it feel to say that out loud I kind of think of it as like you practice whatever you're going to do before game day like you don't 
go to game day without having done any volleyball practices as a team, because when it's game day, you want it already in your body. You want the muscle memory. So if you've already said these things out loud and kind of had the flinch or the cringe of like, oh, I can't believe I said that. When you say it in your real life, in that relationship, it's not the first time and your body's already a little bit used to it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, these are great ones. Okay. They're so smart. Um, okay, we got a DM from Sherry um, who asks, how can therapy help me explore my gender identity? Which is something that people come to us for a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And also, there is not a clear-cut answer because every therapy, like, therapy is so unique to the person that's showing up for therapy and the person that's there to provide the service. And there is no like one way that that can happen. Um, so I think it can happen through a lot of different therapeutic interventions. Um, in my practice, since I work a lot through narrative therapy, I might support someone exploring their gender identity by identifying parts of them that may feel more connected to a different gender or examining their relationship with gender as a concept and sort of talking through those different stories that they have about different genders or about themselves and see how that feels and go from there. So that's, that's just one way of many. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think overall, when I heard this question, I was like I had a moment of just such deep appreciation for therapy because in an overarching way, it's a place that you can come and be your authentic self and trust that it's safe, right? Over time, you build the safety with your therapist to know that it's okay if you come in with a different gender expression or a different sense of your gender from session to session mm -hmm. out in the world, there can be so much pressure to like find who you are, whether it's gender or other aspects of your identity and commit to that and stay in that one box forever. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, I've heard that that feels really stressful because you do all of this work to explore and figure out and land somewhere along the gender spectrum and oh my gosh like what if that changes these things aren't necessarily static gender identity sexual orientation um and therapy is an excellent place to have full permission and full latitude and be welcome to explore the fluidity and the fluctuations that come with exploring gender identity mm -hmm. yeah it's you know as as you two are talking, it's really striking me how much gender exploration is parsing apart your feelings from it, from what's been internalized or the pressure, the external pressures that you're that you're getting from upbringing, family, even your queer community, um, mm -hmm. and being able to like sit and process how you're really feeling and identifying what's yours and what's somebody else's um, and that's it's really tough to do and even if you're doing it you may not feel safe enough or have the energy to make those bigger shifts externally for a while and so it's great to have therapy as a place to do that 
safely until you're ready to start doing it publicly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, on that, we got a DM from Matt who asks, in a similar vein, what are mental health experiences that are normal for queer and trans folks that may be missed or not understood or stigmatized by cis people or het people? I, I think this is a great question and it is related because one of the things I think about is maybe that disconnection from your physical body and then the ways that can manifest in a lot of other issues. Um, another thing that I think of is isolation, depression, things that come with being part of a community that is othered. Uh, suicidal ideation, we know that is much higher for queer folks. And I think across the board, in general, I think that suicidal ideation is more common than we like to think it is, um, and especially for the queer community. And I do think it, it is unfairly stigmatized and that that contributes to making it feel even more shameful. And so I think a lot of times what happens with mental health experiences, ex things experienced by queer and trans folks, is it like becomes this just cycle of shame that is kind of hard to break out of because you're already being stigmatized. And then that's causing, that's contributing to the mental health issues, which is then further stigmatized. And it's really hard to explain what that feels like to cishet folks. Totally. It's, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of the suicidal ideation we know on umbrella for everybody is really mm -hmm. paired with loneliness and isolation. Mm -hmm. And when you're of a um, minority or stigmatized community, that isolation happens in every interaction that you're having because you are othered or you're feeling othered. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of, even when um, a queer trans person is doing well, they may still have suicidal ideation thoughts mm -hmm. in their normal kind of everyday life because there's that kind of continual isolation, rejection, loneliness in mm -hmm. most of their interactions with the world. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I think is a common experience for queer and trans folks is that sort of hypervigilance, like just never really being sure if you're safe, always having to be on alert. Is this a safe space? Is this person going to harm me? Um, and that just kind of like becomes baked into your day-to-day -day, uh, wherever you go, unless you live in like queer utopia, which I'd like to go there. Um, but that is, I think, a very common mental health experience for queer and trans folks that they might not, you know, that's something that's usually manifested in the body. And when you're also disconnected from your body, then 
it's kind of this like invisible symptom that you might not even be aware that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about um, self-doubt too, even before mm-hmm. before some of these other things can have time to come up. If somebody is questioning or trying to figure out for themselves or take time and space to understand where they lie on the gender spectrum or sexuality mm-hmm. spectrum, the constant kind of barrage of the defaults, like the cishet default, um, mm-hmm. and just how long folks can struggle with trusting themselves through no mm-hmm. fault of their own to to find peace and and belief in their own identity and how um, every interaction, like you were saying, Renee, every interaction can discount intentionally or unintentionally mm-hmm. um, somebody's identity. Mm-hmm. And building up that self-trust back up is something that I've worked with people a lot in therapy. And it's um, it's absolutely possible. It is a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge to reconnect with your own signals, whether they're emotional or physical, and trust that again. Mm-hmm. You know, that reminds me of another question that we got that um, put puzzles in really well with this that it didn't put on our list so what my apologies to or sent it over was like <laughs> the importance of having a queer or trans therapist um, because this can happen in the therapy room too is if you if you're with a therapist who doesn't share some level of your identity or some level of like your lived experience of being othered um the therapist can reinforce that self-doubt very unintentionally, um, mm-hmm. but it can cause a lot of problems. I just um, had a phone consultation before a client um, with another health, mental health person that they're seeing. And in that conversation, the other therapist misgendered our client the entire time, mm-hmm. even though I kept really reinforcing it. And so it's and this therapist isn't isn't trying to do it doesn't realize that they're doing it um the person that I work with has very positive experience in therapy Mm -hmm. but those slips really can continue to reinforce that Mm -hmm. that self-doubt and that isolation even something as simple oh sorry no go ahead (laughs) Even something as simple as a therapist being needing to be explained to or taught about aspects of the queer community that are um, that therapists should be familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. being looked at with a look of confusion. Oh, what is that? I've never heard of that. Huh. Interesting. Right. That is might be really well intentioned, but it's also stigmatizing and can be really triggering for people who are like still trying to find their footing in the queer community. Yeah, absolutely. What are, what are some things that you've heard from clients or as queer people who are seeing your own therapists, what are things that you've experienced when sitting with a therapist who isn't, isn't part of our community? 
Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've experienced a lot of minimization of uh how significant certain experiences and interactions are for me as a queer person. Um I think a lot of times there's the intention to it's like, oh, it's it's okay. Like, it's not that bad. Like, you can get through this. But when that is coming from someone who is not part of the queer community, it just feels very, um, it's like a little pat on the head, you know. <laughs> They're there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's very frustrating. I'm like running through my mental Rolodex. <laughs> I know. I, I really just picked one like thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I know we don't have time. Yeah. I think um, somewhat early in my, like going, my going to therapy experience, I had a therapist um, ask if I was sure about a piece of my identity um, and talk about like, you know, using the kind of a classic language of like, this might be a phase and things like that. And I think that set me back a couple of years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was even a therapist that I saw a few years ago um, that I really liked. And he was extremely helpful. Um, And I was going through some like major career stuff and the place that I was working at was super toxic. Um, and he was really great at helping me with that. And I, only that part of me could show up in the room. And mm-hmm. so it was a very separate, like even more splitting um, of my identity where like part of me, like the professional part of me was growing and those tools were growing, but the queer identity, the relationships, that stuff was kind of like stuck in the same place if not going backwards, because I had to keep keep it out of the room because it didn't feel safe um, with him since he didn't really get it. And there wasn't anything explicit that he said, but it was just the general vibe of mm-hmm. like, this isn't, this doesn't feel safe to explore. He doesn't, I don't know that he's equipped to do, to do this. Um, and it's, you know, years later that I'm still like, what was happening? Like, <laughs> why is this one area strong? And it took me a lot longer to get this other piece to catch up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So speaking of Jenny, since you brought up body disconnection, um, we got a DM from Eric who asks, uh, how is it that the mind, body, and emotions can be interconnected and disconnected at the same time without even being aware of it and there's a like second piece to this that is and how can it impact behaviors and feelings in unexpected or unexplainable ways i love this question i'm obsessed um (laughs) (laughs) i think this is a great question because even the idea of interconnected i think sort of societally right now, we're kind of tuning into what has been ancient knowledge, right? Knowledge of peoples who are not colonizers, 
forever is that the the body, the mind, and the emotions are more than interconnected. They are inseparable. Like emotions are physiological processes. Our, our body doesn't know the difference between thoughts and reality. So when we're thinking about disconnected from one another, it's it's impossible. The, the thing that we're thinking about often is that we've learned or been taught by society, by our families, by circumstance sometimes to like turn off the radio for a specific frequency. So a lot of us, a lot of people in kind of Western society have sort of turned down or turned off the messages that we're receiving from our physical body. So we're relying on mostly thoughts and sometimes emotions. And this can impact behaviors and feelings in I don't even want to say unexplainable ways, certainly unexpected, but I think the great thing about therapy is that we can make these unexplainable ways that we're impacted make perfect sense. And so a lot of the impacts can look like physical pain, physical discomfort, um, becoming triggered by sensations or emotions or thoughts that we're not aware of, and then that impacting how we feel or our relationships. So I could I could go on about this for forever, but I love this question. Yeah, it's a really powerful one. And um, a couple of episodes ago, we had Lindsay Stevens on from Crystal Case Apothecary, who talked a lot about this and like has really been exploring how to decolonize her mental health over the last couple of years and really be more in touch with the body and previous like she had said in the episode, like previous therapy was like about worksheets and very like studious type of stuff and like that well that can be helpful tools like that's 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 a tool that is not what happens in therapy therapy is getting into the body and connecting these things and turning all the frequencies back on um for those of you out there if you haven't listened to that episode with Lindsay Stevens it's fantastic I'd highly suggest it Jenny what are your thoughts I think Tara really just summed it up perfectly. <laughs> um, you know, this is something that I'm personally working on myself a lot. And it's, for me, I can now, like Tara said, explain, like I understand and I can explain, but sometimes it's the connection is just still not there. So it's really something that, again, like you both said, can be continuously worked on in therapy. And like any muscle, like if it's atrophied, we can build it back up. And, you know, you can, if you learn, if you learn something and unlearn it, you can relearn it. You know, you have the capacity um, to bring those parts back together and turn those frequencies all back. Yeah, and I think one of those... Go ahead. We have, we've seen like stereotypes. <laughs> I think the stereotype of questions that therapists ask, it used mm -hmm. to be like, oh, and how does that make you feel? And I think one of the newer stereotypes is like, where do you feel that in your body? <laughs> right. Um, and I actually had this realization with my own therapist. It's a question that I ask. And then when my therapist asked me, I had the realization that she might want to know, she's probably curious where I feel that in my body, but that she's trying to habituate me in the one hour that we have together, she asked mm -hmm. me that question multiple times so that I get used to asking myself that question. So mm -hmm. 
that's certainly something that I ask clients and in different ways. Um, but for anyone out there who's like, that's, that's just a stereotype and not a helpful question. <laughs> there's reasons. There's reasons. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like so much of, so much of what you do in therapy or what your therapist is doing is trying to get you used to doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can feel corny or cheesy, but it's, it has a very, very specific intention. And I don't know, I ask people how they're feeling or um, say more about that a lot. And I like giggle at myself every time I do it, because I know like that it is such a stereotype and it's probably so frustrating, but it's important for people to continue to learn to deep dive on their own and then not need us anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in this vein, and this is from a TikTok um, comment at GSCHM. Um, we, when we're talking about the body, mind, emotion connection, we often talk about the vagus nerve. Um, and they are curious what the vagus nerve is. The vagus nerve is super important. <laughs> I believe it's the longest cranial nerve and they also call it the wandering nerve so it starts cranial like so your head starts up at the top of your head and or at the top of your spine and goes throughout the body and it plays huge roles in a lot of in the regulation of tons of body systems and processes and I think it's super popular now because we're learning more and more about the vagus nerves role in like trauma responses in the fight flight freeze mm-hmm. okay. well whichever whichever sort of phrase you use to remember it um it is like tara said responsible for a lot of the systems that are the opposite of the systems that go into effect when we're triggered mm-hmm. uh, and having a trauma response so Rest and digest is the opposite of fight and flight. And so if your sympathetic nervous system is triggered, the fight and flight is activated. If your parasympathetic nervous system is activated, then the rest and digest goes into play. And this would take a whole other podcast to really like talk about fully, but (laughs) it is super important. And, um, I also learned that it's sometimes referred to as the brain-gut axis, mm-hmm. which is easy for me to remember. And that really like reminds me what it is. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's the thing that does the thing. And Jenny, you were just talking about mm-hmm. a muscle, like getting mm-hmm. familiar with, mm-hmm. you were talking about getting familiar with your body as a muscle. And the vagus nerve can be strengthened. Like you can have you can increase, they call it vagal tone, meaning that you're more able to regulate back into the rest and digest space from being Mm -hmm. triggered to fight, flight, or freeze. So Mm -hmm. um, there's all different, we can talk about that in a different episode, but there's all kinds (laughs) of things. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. It is very cool. And like, it's exciting that um, our field has kind of discovered it and figured out different ways to utilize it because Mm -hmm. it's also a tool that you can use to get yourself out of a panic attack faster 
-hmm. you can use to lift yourself out of a depression, a depressive state faster. Um, uh, Kristen Crow, who's one of our therapists, does a lot of um, somatic tips um, on our Instagram and TikTok that are really engaging the vagus nerve to help you strengthen that vagal tone and get you moving so you can have more choice and more integration um, as you're moving through. Cool. Okay. One last question. Um, and this one's from me. And I'm curious um, what you two are doing. So we are about to head into the holidays. Um, and as as you were saying before, it's a kind of a mental mental health scape or mental health scape of, of, of a time. Um, and I'm curious what you two are doing to prepare for it, what your clients are doing to prepare for it, because there are so many expectations of the perfect, shiny, happy holiday family. And that's really not very many people's reality. Yes. So <clears throat> the Jewish high holidays are already in full swing. And there's so many, like you're saying, Renee, there's so many things that come up around holidays, so many family related things, so many um, financial monetary things that come into play um, and I think one of my one of my favorite things to do when I'm not sure if I'm doing something or um, making a choice because I want to and it feels right for me or if I'm doing something because I feel like I'm supposed to and I have to do it um, I just made a tip video on this in our on our social media but I say it out loud. I say both things out loud. And mm. this is something I've been sharing with clients too. share both choices out loud and notice what your body does with those choices. Like notice which option makes your stomach clench or makes you smile and just have that data going in. Maybe it really is something you have to do. Maybe there's someone difficult that you do have to see, but at least you can be connected and acknowledge and like be there for yourself rather than ignoring it. Mm -hmm. Yes, be there for yourself. That's exactly, um, you know, self-compassion is what I always go back to and what I always really try to build up with clients um, all the time, but especially heading into the holidays. You can be there for yourself. You can give that love and nurturing to yourself. Um, you don't have to wait for someone else you know you don't a lot of times we might the ways we might be interacting with family can be um maybe we don't get what we need or what we are hoping for and I find it helpful to remind myself like I I already have it um you know I I have it I just need to turn it inward so I I think that's really important. And of course, I'm all about a safety plan, as I mentioned. <laughs> it's great to have a holiday safety plan. Um, like Tara said, you know, verbalizing it, also writing it down, same thing, how it makes you feel when you see the words written down on a paper. Um, I'm a visual person. So when I see something, when I write something down and then read it back, I'm like, oh, oh, that's what that looks like. Like, <laughs> Now I see it very differently. Um, and I, I do that a lot with clients too, though. I'll have them write something 
and then later we'll revisit it and it's just like who wrote this mm -hmm. I love that idea of writing it down <laughs> Mm -hmm. one thing that I think is helpful and I'm trying to remember to do for myself also is um aftercare like we talk mm -hmm. a lot about this when we're talking about um sex but I think it's really important with social situations especially tough ones is like we put a lot of energy into prepping for it getting ready for it like okay I'm like grinning and bearing it and like this is tough. And then we just kind of expect it to be over and oh, thank God it's over and we can move on. But you also need time to decompress from that process. What's, what's happened, treat yourself really like gently. And, you know, if you're a big extrovert and need to be around people, then be around people that are sweet and loving and safe and mm -hmm. easy. Or if you're more introverted, you know, relax and wear your all your cozy things and have your tea or your wine or whatever and like just allow for that space so mm -hmm. your nervous system can regulate so you can understand what's been happening um and then when you're ready move on to the next thing that reminds me of um i forget which nagoski twin sister <laughs> wrote burnout but they talk about mm -hmm. dealing with the stress after you deal with the stressor or dealing with them separately and so I think that that made me think of that Renee that yes the stressor will be over maybe you had to go to a function and see someone that's really difficult for you to see but then the stress is still there like the stress is still mm -hmm. in your body until you address that as well and for different people that looks different I love the idea of tier one Mm -hmm. some other people need other things but <laughs> can I say um, a different one too yeah of course okay I want to replace my other one um <laughs> <laughs> I think that because the holiday season is so wrapped up with this perfect idea that you're talking about whether that's a perfect idea around family or gifts or clothes and material items um, and I think it's often really helpful to kind of scale back and evaluate quality versus quantity like do you have to go to every single event and buy every single thing that you think you're supposed to can it be pared down so that you actually get to be present in the moment and enjoy your holiday season um, rather than feel rushed and stressed and pressured to either like live up to an ideal or conform or perform for everyone around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, that's a really important one is, and really tough if you've got people pleasing tendencies to say no. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I also think, go ahead. No, I was just going to be cheesy and be like, and a great thing to talk to your therapist about. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Um, I was thinking about how isolation and loneliness can actually be so much higher during the holidays. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Whether you're around a lot of people or not, you can be, you know, that feeling of like being in a room full of people and like not connecting to anyone. Um, or a lot of our queer community 
doesn't have contact with family or people they celebrate the holidays with. And, you know, it doesn't have to be holiday related. Just find some space you can connect with someone else um, or an animal or nature or whatever the case may be. Um, it's not a, like, it's just a date on a calendar for a lot of people. And it can also bring up a lot of painful memories and reminders. And there can sort of be that tendency to just run away from it all together. So in that case, I always suggest just coming up with a ritual for yourself that makes you feel joyful. Um, it does not have to be holiday related, or it can just be your version of the holiday. Um, and try to yeah, just find some way to experience joy. Yeah, I know one of the things that my partner and I do every year is to find a queer bar that has um, a potluck happening. Um, yes. And just there's like been a couple in San Francisco. And since we've moved down to LA, it's COVID. So we haven't found it yet. But there's always a few that We'll just have open doors, bring a dish, everybody brings something, and it is just like light and fun and easy. Mm -hmm. And um, everybody there is just also in a very similar place. So it can be a very mm -hmm. like warm and fun and silly thing to do. Sounds awesome. Um, you guys are the best. Thank you so much. This was um, really beautiful um, for me to hear. I always. I feel like I get spoiled um, in these uh, podcasts being able to just dig into <laughs> your insights and your thoughts about everything. Um, as we're ending, one of the things that we um, are founded on at Open Space, but also that we're doing with the podcast is really building that community um, and really getting away from the isolation and finding safe and play and um, in the good and the bad and the ugly and all of the things in between. So I'm curious, um, if you can share a moment in the last week where you had a connection with your community, what that looked and felt like. Okay. <laughs> My moment of queer community in the last week, I was at work and a coworker that I don't interact with very much um, was writing down my name to leave me a note. And they were thinking Jenny, but then they were also thinking Jenny uses they, them pronouns, and I think they're non-binary, like NB. And so they wrote down Jenby, J-E-N-B-Y. <laughs> I thought it was the cutest thing ever. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, this is why I wrote Jenby, because I was thinking Jenny, non-binary, Jenby. And I was like, okay, so now you can call me Jenby. That's, it's great. It was great. I loved it. That's really cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I went with a friend to go see Bottoms. Have either of you seen this film yet? No. no. How is it? I've heard all about it. It was representation, Ooh. which, like, I'm sure it has flaws. However, going to see a silly queer movie where the plotline isn't about how it's hard or bad to be queer, it's just about being a person who happens to be queer and the things that come up in their lives and it it was so fun and it was a theater full of queer people just 
laughing uproariously at this goofy movie um and like my inner queer child is just so happy <laughs> to have like a high school movie <laughs> for me so cool awesome. um I had a a friend randomly popped by who I live next to a park and there was um a Rosh Hashanah event that she was at and she's like oh I'm like half a block from your house are you around can I stop by and who was a uh, a queer friend of mine and just like randomly like popped over and we like hung out and um for a few hours out of nowhere and it was like one of those perfect moments where I'm like I have social energy and somebody I love is coming over randomly <laughs> out of nowhere this never happens this is amazing um and so that was that was a very cool community connection moment this week nice Okay, thank you so much. You are both just fantastic. Um, please listen, subscribe, rate, review, all of the things that you do for podcasts. Um, we uh, also want to hear from you. If we'll have another listener Q&A in um, probably about six months. And so we are collecting questions. Please send them our way and we will get to them as we can. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so both on Instagram and TikTok. Um, we have the podcast, which is My Therapist is Out. You can find us on that handle. If you want to learn more about Jenny and Tara or book an in info, info, intro call with them, uh, you can find them at our uh, website or on the social medias um, at Open Space Therapy Collective. Um, and of course, our website is OpenSpaceTherapyCollective.com. Thank you both so much. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Renee. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. If you're in California and looking for a therapist, visit our website at openspacetherapycollective.com and book a free intro call with one of our therapists. If you're enjoying My Therapist Is Out, please rate, review, and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. My Therapist Is Out is an Open Space Therapy Collective podcast. Our therapists are Renee Johnson, Kristen Crow, Debbie White, Jenny Nigro, and Tara Friedman. Our podcast editing is done by Smash and Grab Studio. We'd love to hear from you about today's topic, so you can email us at info at openspacetherapycollective.com. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at My Therapist Is Out and Open Space Therapy Collective. Thanks for listening.